listeners a warning. Some stories and lyrics come down by my Radio. There's one newspaper that is independent of powerful capitalist interests, and that is Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice, committed to human and civil rights, ecological sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas that the mainstream media won't. Green Left is a leading source of local, national and international news with analysis, discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us. And... Oh, oh, oh. oh the mic's turned down. Wow. Well... Welcome back. Uh, you are listening to Green Left Radio. It is Friday the 17th of January. Happy New Year. Festive season, all that sort of jazz. Hope you've been surviving the cloud of doom. Yeah, it's been a, it's actually been quite a, a, a quite a, bi- a big month in terms of political developments and we've only just um, been able to get back um, to the to the show on the 17th. But, you know, a lot has happened since our last official program, um, which I think was at the start, I think at the, around the start of um, December or in mid-December. Yes. So we ain't going crazy. Hmm. All right. Um, but, yeah, I guess before we get into... Um, going into a bit of um, what's been happening and talking about um, everything. Um, I'd like to acknowledge that FreeCR today is being broadcast to you from the wandering land of the Kulin Nation. Um, I'd like to pay our respect um, to Elders past and present um, and that this always was, um, always will be Aboriginal land. Now, I guess where do we start in terms of um, where we get um, started for news? Um, Probably listeners are kind of aware that the, of the bushfire crisis that has engulfed, um, Australia, um, with some of the most severe fires happening, um, starting off in parts of New South Wales in December, and then it has since had spread to East Gippsland, especially areas such as Malacuta. Um, Zane, you'll probably have a bit on what other kind of areas have sort of been impacted in terms of the fires. Oh, I haven't got a list, but if I did, it'd be as long as my arm. <laughs> um, yeah, parts of uh, eastern Victoria, large parts of the east coast of New South Wales. I think there's been some fires in Queensland. WA, there's been fires. Uh, Kangaroo Island in South Australia has been smashed. Uh, and I think there's been some fires down in Tassie, so... Yeah, lots, lots of fires all over the place and covering a huge, um, burning out a huge amount of land. Yeah, and I think there's, this whole crisis I think reveals quite a number of things about, um, our political system. And I think, you know, to quote, um, Sam Rainwright, who is writing for Green Left, um, who's writing for Green Left, um, in the latest issue, he starts off by saying that there have been two positive things to come out of the horrific bushfire crisis ripping through our country. 
and that is there's now an increased recognition of the connection between um, global warming and more frequent and intense bushfires and also the inspiring courage and generosity of volunteers and emergency service personnel to protect their communities despite being hugely under-resourced. And this comes in a political context where you know, the coalition and the corporate media, and, you know, I think I would also include the ALP almost in this category, have stopped us almost from recognising this connection between um, the, the bushfires and the extreme um, climate crisis. And, of course, it is also obvious um, that the federal coalition's government failure to adequately respond to this crisis, I think, goes well beyond... Because there was a there was a there was that whole situation that occurred where Scott Morrison was um, overseas in Hawaii for some bizarre reason while the country was while the bushfire crisis was at its worst, and then we also have the whole issue of firefighters where they have been consistently underfunded um, by federal and state governments, and in fact it has been slashed for many years, and of course there's uh, the outright hostility. Um, but I think, you know, I think what it just reveals is that, you know, this is this is the state of when the rich and the powerful are ruling. <laughs> um, they're not, they don't, um, they're, they don't want to put any position where they um, threaten the profits of fossil fuel companies and mining corporations, even while the country burns. Mm. And I think there's some of the, some of the, um, kind of interesting kind of elements I think uh, the other kind of interesting kind of elements I think that have popped out in response to the crisis has been um, I think the fact that there's been we've been seeing mass kind of rallies in response has been fantastic um, in fact last Friday we had a rally which in Melbourne which had over 30,000 people potentially even more in Sydney that was over 50,000 and that was despite the fact that it was you know, pouring, in the case of Melbourne, it was pouring massive rain, yet people still went out on the streets um, to demand climate action, demand the, the sacking of Scott Morrison, and demand that, you know, firefighters be funded, not um, not coal billionaires. Mm. And I think some of the, um, some of the other, one of the other interesting things I like to sort of um, make a note of with the bushfire crisis has been there's sort of been this interesting kind of element around charity, I think, being brought up. Um, now, there's the there's the charity of ordinary people, the fact that there's ordinary working class people are, are putting themselves forward, volunteering and putting their their lives on the front line to you know deal with these fires. I think that's been one element, interesting element of charity. But then there's the other interesting element where we have, you know, millionaires um, such as or billionaires such as Jeff Bezos from Amazon donating to the bushfire crisis, um, celebrities raising money. Um, and then, in fact, when I go down the streets of Melbourne, almost every single business is, um, you know, fundraising right, yeah, towards the yeah. firefighters. And I think it's, I think, you know, in some cases, it's good that some of these small businesses are. Are making their contribution to the um, bushfire crisis, but I, I am much more suspicious of the fact that they that there's these billionaires who are giving, um, in what actually 
mostly amounts to pocket change. In fact, um, Chief Be- Bezo um, gave, I think, only $6,500, um, which in some sense is basically loose change. It represents literally less than 0% of his actual income. Um, and also, in some ways, for a lot of these billionaires, like in the case of the mining um, CEO who donated um, a certain amount of money to the bushfire relief efforts, um, some of the, these cases they should actually they could actually make a greater contribution to this fire crisis if they were actually willing to pay their tax. Um, mm. And also, the fact is when this particular mining magnate um, donated money... Um, Twiggy Forrest. Yeah, Twiggy Forrest, when he donated money to the bushfire crisis, he did it on the onset. Um, he put himself in a position where he made a political statement about it, where he basically argued that the bushfires have nothing to do with climate um, change and it has everything to do with arson. Mm. That is despite the fact that on these charges of arson, there's actually been... Um, less cases of arson than there has been in previous years. And also, it, there's, I would also say that every year, every bushfire season, there's always a, um, cases of arson. Arson cannot and can absolutely not adequately explain why these bushfires are so much worse mm. than previous seasons. It's not the, de- the deliberate effort of a few vandals, <laughs> I think, is just not enough to to be able to burn, you know, what actually amounts to almost whole countries. That is the amount that has been burned. And then there's also the issues of the fact that millions of animals have been killed, species have been um, died off. It's just, I think... There's a a lot to unpack here. Just on on that question of arson, though, uh, there's been some articles doing the rounds saying that the Murdoch media has been publishing a bunch of articles pushing this line that it's uh, it's arson, not climate change. And at the same time, there's a bunch of trolls and, and bots doing a coordinated social media campaign to bump up those type of articles and that, that line of, of argument. So there's the correlation. You, you've got to wonder if potentially some of these bots are... Um, controlled by Murdoch. Um, mm. I, I don't know. It seems like a peculiar. Um, yeah, either there's some right-wing bots out there, and Murdoch's just like, oh, the bots. Gee, that's that's a good line of argument. Let's uh, let's run that. Mm. Or it's Murdoch running the bots directly. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty disgusting. And a senior news uh, journalist, uh, not journalist, a senior kind of board member at um, News Corp quit over this uh, over their repeated emphasis on arson and in particular they ran a bunch of articles and syndicated them across the uh, news empire or across the Murdoch news empire and these articles were saying that there was 183 arsonists or something and when you looked into those statistics there was some press release from New South Wales Police saying that 183 people had been charged with fire-related offences. However, that included people operating machinery and operating grinders and stuff or lighting fires, 
you know, having a barbecue or a fire in their yard or something during a total fire ban, i.e. not arsonists, not people out there deliberately trying to light bushfires, but anyone who's committed any kind of offence that's to do with fire and this uh, this New South Wales Police um, press release was then taken by... Uh, the Murdoch media and converted into articles which started talking about 183 arsonists. Mm. So a, a blatant and complete misrepresenting of the facts. And that press release from New South Wales police actually said there was 24 people arrested for arson, not 183. And there was a follow-up article by uh, ABC Fact Checker which said, I think, 1% of the bushfires were caused by arsonists. So, yeah, that particular claim that, oh, it's all arsonists, utter garbage. Mm. But it's uh, it's interesting and disturbing the extent to which, I don't know, I've, I've been campaigning around climate change for probably about 15 years now. I, I first got into it in Newcastle when rising tide were getting set up. And, um, yeah, I, one of my ways of viewing the climate crisis is that I thought, well, it's problematic, but once the climate crisis starts becoming visible people will snap out of it, realise how serious the problem is, and then we'll get traction. The problem with that, of course, is that by the time climate change is becoming visible, like now, you're kind of getting to a point where it's almost too late to stop runaway warming. Like, we're getting into really dangerous, uncontrolled warming territory already. So climate change is the kind of issue... It's like lung cancer or holes in your teeth or uh, the timing chain on your car. You can't wait till the issue is noticeably, visibly a problem before you deal with it. You need to deal with it first. Climate change is kind of the same. By the time you start seeing the whole, you know, a whole east coast of Australia burning, you're already in very dangerous territory. Nonetheless, I thought once we start seeing some of these visibly noticeable, really serious effects... A whole bunch of people who were climate deniers were going to snap out of that and go, oh, actually, we're in really serious trouble. I think some people are snapping out of it like that, but a lot of other people are doubling down on their climate denial and saying, oh, you know, arsonists this, greenies stopping uh, logging and, and stopping backburning that. And that's a really disturbing development coming out of these fires is the kind of the hard right, I guess, doubling down on their climate denier rhetoric and becoming, you know, almost as a result of these fires, becoming really aggro towards quote-unquote greenies, Mm. which is an umbrella term for anyone who accepts that CO2 causes climate change. We need to do something about that. Mm. Yeah, maybe we just play a quick announcement and there's um, one other aspect of the bushfire crisis I'd like to talk about. (laughs) Accent women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a in a completely violent um, cultural milieu, that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. 
accent women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the How the can country. people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are two where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On community radio 3CR. Three CR broadcasters present over a hundred radio programs every week, including a diverse range of community language shows. Come to one thing at Three CR Community Radio. Please subscribe now. تستمعون إلى إذاعة Three CR Community Radio الرجاء الاشتراك الآن. نينغل ونغلين سموها بانولي Three CR أي كرت كوندير كنديركال. غنري نينغل. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora. Netsuk Ketsek Radio y Gayaranin, Boretanguda Melbumi Hai Kaotin, Hima Artsanakrovetsek Ipertrisiari Antam. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. Altalamu Biman Tapasil is a Hadafat Laka Isabaton Filamel, Abmanu Hai at Worksay Victoria. سلامة العمال في جميع أنحاء ولاية فيكتوريا عن طريق مساعدتكم في معرفة حقوقكم وواجباتكم المتعلقة بالإصابات في مكان العمل وقد أعدت هيئة ويك سايف فيكتوريا ثلاثة مشاهد متحركة وهناك صفحة حقائق متاحة عبر الانترنت وذلك لمساعدتكم في فهم ماهيتها والأمور التي تستطيع القيام بها من أجلكم راجعوا الموقع www.worksafeinfo.com.au للحصول على معلومات بلغتكم Okay, so this is Shebop. And so is this. And this. Shebop, a program that explores feminist issues. Tune in Mondays, 10.30 a.m. for a show where only women get to speak, but everyone can listen. Three CR are selling kafir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Right, you're listening to Green Left Radio. Um, on the line you have Jacob and Zane. Now, we were just discussing um, the bushfire crisis and I think, you know, I think we'll go probably be dedicating quite a big a bit of a chunk of the program to this because I think it is important that we sort of go through kind of all the different angles and different kind of political analysis 
on it. And I think one element, um, and this is just from an article in um, ABC News that just kind of appeared, but there is this whole, and this is kind of like very common with capitalism, and it's been a common feature with every kind of disaster, um, whether you look at um, Hurricane Katrina. Um, in New Orleans or whether you look at some of the natural kind of disasters that have happened in parts of the global south, um, the working, um, working people and the poor are always disproportionately kind of impacted, um, by, by these crises. And of course the governments, um, which are supposed to be for the interests of ordinary people and pretty much absent from even, um, from supporting ordinary people. And a good example is the fact that um, um, that in ter- the financial aid that some of the victims of um, who have been impacted by um, by the fires have barely have gotten some of the worst compensation. Uh, for example, a family um, who, after their home in Watelabi um, burned down, they only received up to twelve a thousand and two hundred eighty in a in a bushfire relief fund, um, and um, he and one of them has only one of them who was a a, a rural fire service firefighter, Joe Bogo, is struggling to find funds to rebuild his home. And of course, one he he receives only and he only received only a thousand dollars, and his and his waiting has been almost waiting almost a month for funds from the Red Cross and New South Wales government. And of course, you have all these families applying for um, you know emergency recovery payments from um, from charities such as St Vincent's Red Cross, and. You know, the federal government's, um, one-off disaster recovery payments are really as low as like a thousand. And I think it's actually quite, I think this just reflects the, the inadequacy of the government response. I think the, the lack of actual compensation, I think, is absolutely outrageous. Yet you can imagine if, you know, a major corporation or business was burnt down in these fires, they would easily have the capital and the funds, um, to rebuild from scratch. Um, whereas ordinary people being impacted by this disaster get measly change. Hmm. Yes. And I think this talks to a broader issue, which is uh, the, the, the subsidising of coal industry profits by climate destruction. So when... I, I, I think that this type of destruction of of homes whether it's from flood events or from the drought or from bushfires these kind of climate related uh weather effects that are you know destroying people's livelihoods destroying their homes destroying businesses those need to be counterposed when when climate action is sabotaged that's the direct cost so uh, people are subsidising coal industry profits, profits with their lives. And, yeah, some of those people who've lost their homes, some of the people in the bush up north, they're kind of sort of tree-change hippies who've been living in little little shacks in the bush in rainforest areas, never supposed to burn. So some of these people are living in houses that don't necessarily have um insurance and once they've burned down what do they do they're stuffed um so yeah it's pretty disturbing 
And, yeah, the amount of assistance is measly if you can even uh, get it. And uh, another issue that's likely to occur as a result of this um, bushfire crisis is um, the prices of fresh fruit and vegetables is likely to increase. I don't think it's happened sharply yet. I mean, looking at Mm. Coles and Woolworths, I haven't noticed a dramatic increase in price other than some some. Things like sherries, for example, have apparently been in low supply as a result of the bushfire crisis. Um, but we are going to—I can definitely imagine that as a result of this crisis, we're definitely going to see an increase in food. Um, and of course, that's another way of you know passing on the costs for consumers. You know, you'd think in an emergency kind of situation, a government, uh, a government who is apparently supposed to serve the interests of the ordinary people, actually should be able to subsidise um, um, the increase in food prices and where the cost, um, especially with the amount of billions um, uh, in subsidies that we give to mining corporations, um, yeah, the corporations should be the ones to, um, we, um, to wear the cost, not ordinary people. <laughs> mm. Yeah, the Australia Institute has a... Uh a proposal at the moment to tax coal exports $1 a tonne and put that money into a sort of rebuilding fund, but I think they should be nationalised without compensation and the entire uh, assets of the coal industry gradually liquidated and all that money put into a transition and climate impact fund and... um, as coal is phased out over a five or ten year period, all coal revenue should go into a transition fund. And the Green New Deal policy that uh, Bernie Sanders, that the Bernie Sanders campaign has released in the US, they've got provision for three trillion dollars worth of litigation of fossil fuel companies uh, to yeah, recover some of those costs for current disasters and future disasters in in coming decades. And I think that's a really good plank of the Green New Deal that we should be... uh, Yeah, we need an Australian version of this. Mm. Yeah, and I think... um I think yeah, uh, the this whole bushfire crisis reinforces that we, reinforces that we actually need actual solutions uh, to the crisis, and I think the government's um, solutions are completely inadequate. Um, and I think you know it just it, uh, the 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 fact that um, working class people are being shooted out, and I think not just working people, but disproportionately um, indigenous communities have been. Um, um, disproportionately impacted by these fires. Yet what's inter- um, yet what's interesting is um, indigenous kind of land management um, sort of practices, especially around um, fires, have actually been shown to be far more effective um, than how we um, how we 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 do things. And I think you know one particular demand that um, has been one of the consistent parts of the rallies is that we have been demanding increased funding for these sort of um, indigenous land management uh, measures because they are quite labour intensive, um, mm. and so in some sense, um, capitalist governments will refuse, <laughs> will probably do, will not want to pay for it, um, and because in some sense, the capitalist government's sort of motive is they'll use the least labour intensive methods they can get away with, mm. um, so they can yeah make more profit for the for themselves. Yeah, and that's been another 
really interesting thing coming out of this um, disaster is a increased awareness of uh, Aboriginal land management practices and cultural burning, which are different to the type of fuel reduction burns that the CFA or the RFS will do, because uh, cultural burning takes into consideration a much broader range of factors and is generally a lower intensity uh, burning. So as you've said, it's more labour intensive and the reason for that is you're not going in and, and uh, using the little fuel dropper thing and burning a fairly large amount of area at once. Uh, it's It's a much slower and less intense process which leaves a lot more of the green stuff intact, I guess you would say. Mm. Um, and, yeah, that's definitely something that we need to see more of. Mm. And uh, I think I think it's already the case that um, when fuel reduction burns are happening, there is some engagement with uh, Aboriginal um, traditional owners who kind of supervise in some instances and come along or when they're doing cultural burning, they'll bring some firefighters with them so that they can see the process. But I think there needs to be much more work in that area of actually Aboriginal people need to be training the RFS people and the CFA people how to do it the traditional way, how to do uh, cultural burning. And, yeah, as you say, again, that comes back to resources because... In that context, it's not just about having a reserve army of volunteer firefighters who fight the fires when they come. It's about having people on a more ongoing basis mm. to to manage the land. Mm. Yeah. And now going back on to the question of um, solutions, um, I think, you know, one of the more expiring things about the kind of mass the mass movement that's kind of developing in kind of response to the fires with the with the um, the huge mobilisations um, has been that I think that the Scott Morrison government is starting to make certain concessions, even if the solutions are completely inadequate. Um, for example, just um, last weekend, um, Scott Morrison was talking about oh, you know. I think we can, we we, sh- we should be doing more around um, Australians' emissions, and then sort of made this really sort of tokenistic gesture on, or maybe we should have a royal commission in the, into the fires. Now, interestingly enough, um, Peter Marshall from the UFU has had a, has um, who's the secretary of the United Firefighters Union in Melbourne has had a direct response to that, saying that we don't need. Of Royal Commission, um, and in fact, what the government should be doing is actually implementing um, the recommendations from the previous commissions and uh, um, from previous fires that have happened. Um, and in fact, yeah, it's actually almost like these ideas of Royal Commissions is almost like a get out of jail card for these politicians to just say that, oh yes, we will have a Royal Commission, um, it will be all right, but of course they never even implement half the implementations or any of them anyway, like in the case that there was the Royal Commission into um, the Black Deaths in custody. Hmm. Yes. Now, on to another matter. I am a rank-and-file member of the CFMEU Construction Division, 
the <laughs> I will often bring my CFMEU flag to climate rallies, and people will come up to me and go, um, "What's going on with the uh, mining division of the CFMEU?" <laughs> and I'll say, "Yeah, they're pretty bad, aren't they?" Uh, the early in January, I think it was around the seventh, eighth, ninth, somewhere there. So in the middle of the massive inferno engulfing the east coast. The Mining and Energy Division in New South Wales of the CFMEU came out and said to the Liberal government, hey, you're too harsh on uh, coal mine approvals. You need to get rid of the uh, provision in the law that allows the courts to look at climate change when deciding whether or not to approve new coal mines. That's not fair. The Paris Accord covers that. Uh, the the courts in Australia should not be assessing the climate impacts of new coal mines. They shouldn't be thinking about it, talking about it. They should see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Uh, so what we've got is the CFMEU Mining and Energy Division in New South Wales in the middle of a climate crisis, in the middle of the East Coast burning, trying to outflank the Liberal government of New South Wales on its right, and doing the work of the Minerals Council and saying, you need to make it easier to approve new coal mines and coal mine expansions in this state. Uh, absolutely disgusting. And then, at the same time, the uh, forestry, some forestry spokesperson from the CFMEU has come out and said, uh, the way to avoid future bushfires is that we need to have we need to make it easier to do uh, burning and quote unquote selective logging in national parks. So we've got the CFMEU um, elements within the CFMEU pushing for more coal mines and pushing for more logging in the middle of a climate crisis, and this is a very serious problem. Uh, there are. The CFMEU generally gets a, across its many divisions, gets, uh, has a decent reputation for looking after the pay and conditions and safety of workers. However, as pertains to climate policy, I think that the CFMEU Mining and Energy Division is as much of a yellow union as the AWU or the SDA. They are the voice of the Minerals Council within the trade union movement, and it is a big problem for the union movement. And uh, I've heard reports that in the lead-up to the September 20 climate strike last year, the really big one, that the uh, mining division was contacting um, trades halls in New South Wales, uh, I think Sydney, Wollongong and New South Wales, and saying, you are not to support the school strike, and if you do, we are going to disaffiliate. I've, I haven't seen it verified in writing, but I've heard reports of that from a few um, unionists who are kind of well-placed in the, in the trade union movement. This is a serious problem, and... At the same time, we've got one nation getting their highest vote uh, ever in a lower house seat in the Hunter Valley running a CFMEU member saying uh, we're going to stick it to the greenies and make it easier to approve coal mines. So I think there's a really serious problem where you've got a, 
an element of the of the trade union movement in the coal industry, and their their approach to climate change is to just bury their head in the sand, pretend that it's not happening, and cling tightly, cling for grim death to this industry uh, as the world starts moving away from coal. And it's not a it's not a pro working class approach. It's not in the interests of coal workers to cling desperately to the coal industry. The way to look after coal workers, the way to look after the long-term interests of coal workers and of those communities that have historically been reliant on coal mining is to fight for a just transition, is to fight for the tens of billions of dollars in funding that will be needed to have a job guarantee for every coal worker so that we can move away from this industry and and phase out coal exports, phase out coal-fired power and do so in a way that does not result in mass unemployment, but just clinging to the industry and trying to prolong it, that is not the way forward. And it's very disturbing to me that elements of my union, the CFMEU, uh, are playing such a deeply retrograde uh, role within the trade union movement. Hmm. Right. Um, we might just play a quick announcement um, and then move on, maybe move on um, from the bushfire crisis and maybe discuss some of the um, some other things that are currently happening. Yeah. Yeah, I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. Always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. Alrighty, welcome back. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. And it is 20 minutes to 8 on Friday morning, the 17th of January. Alright, so I want to go on for a few noise, um, news stories. Um, the first one is um, about um, the battle to save a historic park from the Victorian State Government, which is currently... Um, happening. Um, on January the 15th, um, 50 protesters from the Upfield Corridor Coalition stopped work on the 40, um, six, 460 million Bell to Moreland um, level crossing removal project for the third day in a row. 
The LXRP is the Labor government's marginal electorate winning major infrastructure. It claims it will make travel times faster for drivers by removing boom gates at railway crossings and include modernising two stations, Coburg and Moreland. Um, but Minister for Transport Infrastructure, Janice Jacinta Allen has proposed a design for the Brunswick-Coburg project that involves the destruction of the historic park Gandolfo Gardens. The park was created in 1911 by the local community. Um, The current um, LXRP design allows 113 of the park's trees, 92% to be destroyed. As contractors, um, John Holland attempted to erect fencing around the park at 8am. Protesters linked arms, circled the struct and prevented workers from unloading the fencing. 20 police threatened to arrest the group. They included elderly residents and young mothers. And of course, at 10am, workers again um, attempted to cordon off the park, but again, the protesters linked arms, sang and resisted police, and the LXRP requests to move. A construction forestry mining energy union delegate declared the site unsafe, and half the workers left. This was, the, um, this was celebrated by the defiant locals. And Moreland um, Council, Socialist Councillor Sue Bolton, who has been part of the community picket, said, we've had another wing today today because residents have joined the protests and helped keep, keep the picket uh, going by bringing water and food. People might not have time in their busy lives to come to all the uh, activities, but when it really counts, they're prepared to take strong action to save mature trees from destruction. And the UCC, um, an alliance of environment, transport, residents, public transport and urban forest organisations, has been campaigning since early last year to ensure the government project benefits everyone, uh, motorists, cyclists, pedestrians, public transport users and people with mobility issues. The UCC has proposed a small design tweak to save Gandolfo Gardens and um, move the new elevated station 50 metres south so that it straddles Moreland Road. This solution, assessed by more, um, um, independent engineers and urbanists, has perfectly rival, would save most of the trees and provide safer and quicker access to the train station without needing to cross busy Moreland Road. But the Minister continues to block this minor design change without justification. Um, and so now the unfortunate news is the picket has being broken at this stage, um, but there is going to be um, a, 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 and a the campaign is still going to be going, and there's going to be a community festival and camping, say Gandalf Gardens, from four to nine a.m. on Saturday um, at the Gandalf Gardens um, two three three to two three nine Moreland Road in Brunswick. Yeah, now. Mm. The next um, thing I want to talk about is um, the well. Right now, the situation. Um, this is probably a bit out of date, but it gives a bit of a summary, I think, of the political situation as it was sort of arising in Iran. Um, and this is an article written by um, Tony Iltis for in the um, which is featured in um, the latest Green Left Weekly. And that is um, the United on on the third of January. Um, there was a military strike um, by um, by the United States, which assassinated the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Corp Quads Com- Bridge Brigade Commander Qasem Soleimani, um, who was the deputy commander of the Iraqi government-affiliated Popular Mobilization Forces. And then there was a, a retaliation against two U.S. military bases in Iraq on January eighth which then has almost 
in some sense, brought the world to the brink of war. And then since then, um, United, um, President Donald Trump has been escalating the danger by, by threatening more U.S. military aggression, including the destruction of Iran's cultural heritage sites, and has refused to allow the Iranian Foreign Minister Javed Zarif a visa to attend the United Nations Security Council in violation of the U.S.'s legal responsibility as the U.N. host country. And, of course... This all comes into the in a, in a particular political context um, that since October, millions of Iraqis have been protesting against corrupt, corrupt government corruption, a lack of economic opportunities and basic services, the lack of democracy, religious sectarianism and US and Iranian influence over Iraq. Al Mohandids um, directed the brutal repression response to these protests, including deploying snipers who killed many of the 500 people who died. Soleimani was the Iranian connection to the PMF, which has a history of human rights abuses. And of course, it's not surprising um, that you know, as a result of this, that some Iraqi protesters celebrated the assassination. However, the suffering of Iraqis will only worsen the more their country becomes the arena for US-Iran conflict. And then actually just on this topic, moving outside the article, when Soleimani Amini was assassinated, it was quite fascinating to see the kind of propaganda war um, by um, by the United States, especially from articles like Fox News, um, CNN. Um, you know, for most... I would say, and this is not because of the ignorance of um, um, uh, of most ordinary people or anything, I actually think that most people probably had no idea who Solonemi was until he was assassinated. But already you saw this narrative being pushed by the US establishment that what the US did was kill the number one bad guy. Yeah. As if um, he was a terrorist who posed an immediate danger. He'd been doing terrorism things. Terrorism, despite the fact that actually in history he had, he has been in some sense collaborating with the U.S. against ISIS, etc. But of course, that's all because you know, in terms of like the way they framed it, there's this clear framing of him being a bad guy and clearly the worst enemy of humanity or whatever in in classic sort of. It US. wasn't us being aggressive. It was us diffusing. An aggressive guy. Yeah, exactly. And mm. so the fact that it's going, of course, you know, obviously Sungmi is politically quite right wing, has his own problems, mm. but it's like it's clearly an example of almost US sort of imperialist propaganda to justify uh, their extreme acts of aggression. Yeah, extreme acts of aggression. Can you imagine Iran. if it was the other way around and if Iran had a whole bunch of navy vessels all off the US coast? And then they took out the top military general in the U.S. Mm. Can you imagine the response? Mm. Yeah. I reckon like, that would be nuclear bombs headed for Iran straight away. Like, they would lose their shit. Mm. They would go off their absolute head. Mm. They would fight massive wars in multiple Middle East countries for the next two decades. They would go bonkers. The double standards here are just breathtaking 
Yeah, and um, and there's also like the um, the element that um, in terms of US's aggression against Iran, there's all this sort of um, you know arguments about you know article. There was all these all you know following this sort of assassination, there was all these articles about Iran's sort of human rights abuses, how they repressed the sentencing. Probably it's all relatively true. Um, how it has you know it spends a lot of money on its military. Well. Actually, the funniest one was how there was an article that went on about how Iran spends a lot of money on its military mm. uh, as sure. opposed to its ordinary citizens. And I'm like, oh, that sounds very similar to, to another country. To I another country of, of uh, mm. yeah, the United States. Um, and now, yeah, going further into, the, I think, the article, um, the current dysfunction and the violent regime, I think, in, in Iraq is the product of the 2003 US invasion. And, of course, that's also, as Tony Iltis points out here, despite their rivalries, um, the US and Iran have frequently co- collaborated in imposing rulers on Iraq. And, of course, US forces, um, as I sort of mentioned before, in, the, in terms of this hypocrisy, were fighting alongside the PMF as recently as 2017. And, of course, in Iran, um, since last um, last November, Iran has been rocked by protests for democracy, workers and women's rights, and of course the brutal um, the regime has launched its crackdown, which is crewing some 1,500 pro- protesters. However, it is dishonest um, for the US to use human rights to justify its aggression. Not only does the US abuse um, human rights at home, it frequently backs or imposes regimes with, with a worse human rights record than Iran. And there's also the other issue of the fact that the US is imposing sanctions on Iran, which hurt ordinary people more than the, those who are in power. And the flagrant hypocrisy of the US, which is a nuclear power, imposing sanctions on the basis that Iran, which doesn't have nuclear weapons, is a nuclear threat, allowing the later to whip up nationalism. The vast size of the crowds at Salomiemi's funeral is an illustration of how US aggression bolsters um, the Iranian regime. And, yeah, I think, I think, I think that, um, in, in the end, there's going to be, I think that there's just been a protest called um, no war on Iran. Um, at this point, the situation, I think, has sort of escalated to a sort of standstill where it doesn't seem like there will be an all-out kind of war, but I think it is going to be important that we continuously build um, mobilisations and continuously call out, especially calling out any potential role of Australia um, entering into the conflict. Um, it'll be actually quite... Um, uh, you know, with all the the whole bushfire crisis happening, it'll be quite, you know, pretty re- incredibly problematic if the U- uh, if Australia was even consider entering this. Um, but yeah, that's I think where the I guess the current situation is currently at um, for Iran. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Uh, should we have some music? Yeah, we can go play a quick song. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm going to play my band again. When our turn comes, climate strike.
critiques when they got holes to fix the purpose. Won't you quit in the darks when you got cancer? How could I prevent this, you ask? But know the answer. How many decades have passed dumping on the climate? Clear fell in the planet of wrecking environments. You think we had another planet to go to, but we don't. We're like a bunch of people lost at sea wrecking our own boat. Wait, whoa, what did you say? Conspiracy agenda? Climb the Dharma's new world order, the main offender. Look, the main offender is you. Burying your little head in the sand with garden CO2. Multinational scum just keep on running the profits from machinery that's cooking the world and won't stop it. There's no time for people like you to come to your senses. Step back and watch as the revolution commences. Are we seriously gonna wait until there's no more fall before we step on the brakes? We're leaving the way too late, and that's a fact. Gonna get out on the street and take the power back. Seriously gonna wait until there's no North Pole Before we step on the brakes We're leaving the way too late And that's a fact Gonna get down on the street and take the power back People of the future, listen to me We're gonna charge them with mass murder Can't you see? The dirty bastards knew exactly what they were doing They copped a million warnings But they insisted on still polluting Hell, they were barking out orders from the top Like burn all the carbon reserves that we got more than happy to leave your planet trashed And for a brief moment they could make up under the cash Ask on a future that I'd like to contemplate I'd rather be part of a mass movement to break the state Emergency action decarbonize across the globe Nationalize the energy sector, yeah, lock and load Make all of the wind and the solar publicly owned Get it done right and keep prices under control The police and the battens and the media barons And the barriers we're gonna bulldoze to make it happen Seriously gonna wait until there's no North Pole Before we step on the brakes But leaving the way too late And that's a fact Gonna get out on the street and take the power back Are we seriously gonna wait until there's no North Pole Before we step on the brakes But leaving the way too late And that's a fact Gonna get out on the street and take the power back You are listening to Green Left Radio. It's Friday morning, 17th of Jan, 5 minutes to 8. Right, you're listening, it's 7.55 and you're listening to Green Left um, Weekly Radio. Um, so, Zane, is there anything particular you want to talk about for the next five minutes before we move on to the activist calendar? Uh, there was a really cool article in uh, the Liberal Media in the Newcastle Herald by Joanne McCarthy um, of uh, Royal Commission into Institutional Sexual Abuse fame. And Joanne McCarthy was speaking to a guy called Jamie Miller, who's worked in the coal industry for many years and is saying, 
we need a just transition. Uh, I have failed future generations as an industry. We've failed people, and we need to turn this situation around. So, uh, yeah, there's just a... I don't know, a steady trickle. Every every couple of times a year, there might be someone who's working in the fossil fuel industry, maybe coal, maybe gas, and they come out and they throw their support behind the school strikers and they say, this isn't cool, we need to do something about this. So it's really good to see, yeah, just the latest example of a, of a coal industry worker coming out in support of a just transition and, yeah. That's always gives me just a little bit more hope for the world as everything burns and we're all choking on the apocalyptic death cloud when, uh, yeah, you get a fossil fuel industry worker coming out like that very clearly and unequivocally saying we've failed and we need to, we need to change the situation pronto. Mm. Yeah, and um, another kind of story um, to kind of bring up is um, kind of like a recent death in custody that happened... Um, earlier in January, um, which is, uh, which actually Victorian authorities took more than a week to confirm. In fact, we didn't even really hear about it until last week, even though it happened in January 2, which was of a Yorta Yorta woman, um, Rionica Nilsson, who was, um, held at a maximum security prisoner, um, prison in Melbourne for a minor crime when she died. Um, and this is from an uh, article in Green Left Weekly um, that's written by Chloe um, De Silva. Um, the grieving, um, fa- and she writes here that the grieving family was told um, that they may have to wait up to three months to learn what caused Nelson's death, even though inmates reported hearing her scream for help. Belinda Ackerson told the age that her sister was taken into custody last December the 30th and the next day was refused bail after facing court without legal representation. And um, Nelson's family and prison inmates indicate that Nelson, who was um, withdrawing um, from methadone at the time, was allegedly refused medical care. And um, Addicksonson told in NITV News, I've heard that cellmates and other parts of the jail heard her go down to medical and ask for help, but the guards grabbed her and took her back. I want the whole world to know that uh, what has happened. And, yeah, that's um, that's... A bit, I guess, sums it really up, and I think it's going to be, you know, the fact that these cases keep happening, I think, is the direct result of our racist colonial system, um, and and it, and the overorientation of Aboriginal people in the criminal justice system is an absolute disgrace, and I think it's going to be more important than ever to attend the Invasion Day protests um, the following Sunday on the 26th of January, for this reason. Hmm. Yeah, it's just disgusting. And it just keeps happening. It's an indictment on this, on the, on the police and the judicial system in this country. It's disgusting. Mm. Alright, now I'm going to, well, what we pay quick announcement and then we'll move on to the activist calendar. 3CR broadcasters present over a hundred radio programs every week including a diverse range of community language shows. Come to one thing at 3CR Community Radio, please subscribe now. Testimony una ila ila 3CR Community Radio araja al ishtirak al an. Ningal ungalin samuha vanuli 3CR ai kettukondirukkirgal. 
Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. Help 3CR support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline, and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care, and also others were... The recognition were... of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years, and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. Right on. Welcome back. Hey. 3CR, 8am, Screen Left Radio, Activist Calendar Time. Right, you're listening, this is the Green Left Weekly Activist Calendar. And so happening today, um, there's apparently going to be a commemoration for freedom fighters um, Tanamini Wait and Mobo Henny um, at 12 noon. Um, fortunately, we don't have any information on who they are, but maybe there's some people that might know here who are. That's going to be at the corner of Bowen Lane and Franklin Street in the city. Tanaminiwa and Mobo Henny were um, Aboriginal resistance fighters in Victoria um, and where did you say that is that at the monument um, corner on Bowen Lane and Franklin Street in the city yes I think that's where the there's a monument to, to Tanaminawe in Mabohina mm. I'd say that's probably where that is mm. yeah um, there's going to be a solidarity vigil for bushfire victims um, at 5pm at the Stretcher Gardens, organised by School Street Strike for Climate. Um, there's going to be a benefit gig for West Papuan political prisoners at 7.30pm at the Cafe Gummo at the um, 7-Eleven High Street in Thornberry. Gummo! And on... Saturday, um, there's going to be a protest, sack uh, um, ScoMo and make the client Crinwell's pay, happening at 2pm at the State Library, 328 Swanson Street in the city. Um, there's going to be a community festival and camping, same Gondolfo Gardens from 4pm to 9pm on a Sunday at Gondolfo Gardens, 233 to 239 Moreland Road, Brunswick. Um, there's going to be a film screening, Just Mercy. This powerful and thought-provoking true story follows a young lawyer, Brian Stephen, in his history-making battle for justice, and that's going to be probably at the Palace Cinema, Cinema Nova, and so on, from Thursday, January the 23rd. Um, there's going to be a gig um, by a particularly notable Indigenous um, band, um, Divide and Dissolve, um, at 8pm at The Colour, 229 Queensbury Street in Carlton. Um, and then on Saturday, January the 26th, um, there is the Invasion Day dawn service um, for I-30am at the War Memorial in the Shrine in the city. And then on on Sunday, January 26th, there'll be an Invasion Day rally at March at 11am at the Parliament at Spring Street in the city. And then oh, um, from 1pm, there'll be the Indigenous Music Festival, Share the Spirit, from 1pm. 
And then on Tuesday, um, the 28th of January, there'll be a public forum, Bushfires, Corporate Greed and Climate, Crisis of Capitalism. Um, the apocalyptic fires across Australia show how our governments have failed miserably to prepare for the crisis or mobilise the resources needed now. Their criminal negligence continues with their refusal to respond to the ongoing climate emergency, with both the coalition and Labor putting the profits of fossil fuel corporations ahead of a liberal planet. And that will be happening at 6.30pm um, with meal from 6pm um, at the Resistance Centre at Liberal 5407 Swanson Street. Then there will um, there'll be a film screening, um, Sir Berg, based on the star, um, story of the star Breathless and um, the French New Wave. Um, Jen Tuberg, who was um, in the late 1960s, was targeted by the illegal um, FBI surveillance program. Now, one thing that's not on here, there's actually another film coming out that I think is <laughs> politically notable. Um, there's going to be a f- um, the film on, on January the 30th, there's going to be um, a f- the latest film by um, not- uh, filmmaker Terence Malick, A Hidden Life, um, which is going to be a, uh, which is basically based on a true story of um, of an Austrian uh, in the 1940s who refuses to serve um, um, for the um, the Nazis, um, and um, yeah, that's that's going to be happening. Um, that's going to be airing on um, screening on the Thursday, January the 30th, and um, Sunday, February. Um, Second to Thursday, the February the sixth, there's going to be a Canberra People's Climate Assembly, which is going to be a sort of big kind of mobilisation that's looking like it's going to try and bring a whole range of different groups on board. And then on Sunday, February the second, there's going to be the Midsummer Pride March um, happening at 11 a.m. Um, in Fitzroy Street in St Kilda. And then on Sunday, um, February the second, there's going to be the Midsummer. Um, Pride March at 11am at Fitzroy and St Kilda. And on Sunday, the February the 9th, there's going to be a rally, No Right to Discriminate, Oppose the Religious Discrimination Bills at 1pm at the State Library, 328 Swanson Street in the city. And then February 14th to February 15th, there'll be the National Climate Emergency Summit at the Melbourne Town Hall. And then on Saturday, February the 22nd, there'll be a Climate Crisis National Day of Action at 2pm at the State Library, 328 Swanson Street in the city. Yeah, so that's um, it for the activist calendar. And um, now, um, for the start of the year, um, if you support the work um, that Green Left um, Radio does, um, Green Left um, is, Radio is actually affiliated with... Um, uh, the, um, the weekly newspaper Green Left, um, which comes out every week and reports the latest um, anti-capitalist um, an- announcement, uh, um, anti-capitalist analysis and um, news from all the different social movements that are hap- and struggles that are happening around the world against injustice. Um, if you support our work, um, please um, consider becoming a supporter. It costs as little as five dollars uh, a month. Um, for a digital subscription or $10 a month for a print description and you can become a supporter by going on greenleft.org.au forward slash support. Right, um, now might play, we'll play a quick for announcements and then maybe move on to our first um, interview with the program which is with a um, uh, local Indian um, to talk about the current kind of political situation in India. Six years I 
of ours is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here with us, uh, Aboriginal Radio, and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here I'd like to say thank you for all for coming um, helping, giving us a chance to do this it's really good, you know, it's been going for a while now hopefully it goes, it keeps going you know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners We can't blame everything on the external so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family if you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 You are listening to Green Left um, Radio, um, and on the line we have Rick Rant Kishore, um, who is uh, a member of um, the local Indian community in um, Australia, um, and we have him on the line um, to talk a bit. Um, India has actually been marked by quite a lot of political developments um, in this past month, uh, especially with the um, with the Modi government and the implementation of the Citizenship Amendment Act. Um, or Citizenship Amendment Bill and National Register of Citizens. Um, and so we have them online to talk, um, online to talk about kind of what's happening in India. Um, good morning. Hi, good morning. Yeah, maybe to, um, start off, um, maybe could you give a bit, I guess, before we maybe talk about, um, the CAA and the NRC, maybe for, just for first time listeners, um, who might not necessarily be aware of the political situation in India. Can you start, um, start off by giving us a bit of a background on current, on in contemporary kind of Indian politics? Yeah, uh, so at the moment, uh, what is happening in India is that uh, there are certain uh, particular acts which the government, which is uh, at the, uh, currently, which is of the right wing uh, party, Chanta Party, BJP, and it is a Hindu nationalist party. And some of the decisions that it has been taking uh, in the last five, six years, it has come into scanner being very anti-Muslim. And at recently, it has introduced two different acts uh, or two different laws. One is CAA and another is NRC. CAA is Citizenship Amendment Act of 2019, which is a recent law which grants citizenships to Hindus, Sikhs, Buddhists, Jains, Parsis, and Christians who entered India fleeing religious persecution in neighboring countries. The law excludes Muslims. When combined with the National Register of Citizenship, this law could lead to Indian Muslims being declared stateless, which means that they could lose their right to have rights. 
Many people will be inhumanly excluded due to being Muslims, transgender, atheists, being tribals, Dalits, women, landless, or people who are without any documents that shows their particular uh, citizenship to India. And this is a problematic thing in India, where majority of the people, they don't have their documents. Now, they are asking for their documents of being valid citizens. So, And that document is not passport, but then about their lineage and things like that. And this has created a whole lot of problem in India. And because of this, uh, many uh, university students rose up to voice their protest. And on 15th of uh, December, when students of a particular university, Jamia Millia Islamia, when they moved out in a peaceful protest, the police of Delhi, they in fact attacked them and Lati charged or Baton charged on them and, you know, tried to suppress this protest brutally. And uh, it ended up with many students, you know, being uh, uh, beaten badly. One student lost his eye. You know, they also uh, put tear gas in, into the, you know, in the university. And it was followed up about three, four days later in another university, Aligarh Muslim University. So this repression by the police and brutality of police, the news, the way it has come out, it is not something that a democratic country should function. And that's what, you know, people from all across the world are worried about. That, uh, first of all, creating a kind of a law which excludes Muslims. You know, it, it has certain things which is good in it, but then the way it is being looked at or the kind of message it gives, it doesn't give a positive message about a democratic country and how it treats all its uh, people who are there. Hmm. Yeah, so I guess imagine, I guess um, the sort of implementation of this legislation is sort of like um, in... Australia, um, I mean, if, if, um, the Australian government decided, um, to fast track, um, um, the, you know, taking in refugees, um, from particular backgrounds, um, but excluded Muslims, but then sort of combined that with a sort of, uh, citizenship sort of registry that kind of impacts on, on the pe- on the Muslims that already exists in Australia. Would that be sort of a, a accurate sort of interpretation of what this sort of legislation kind of means in India? Yes, uh, to some extent, and this has to be also, uh, you know, uh, looking at uh, particular uh, uh, issues that uh, it's uh, kind of a, you know, it's good for immigrants from, you know, persecuted immigrants, but then the issue is that in India they are at the moment only looking at the three countries which has Muslim majority, and they think that the, uh, these particular six identified religious perse- religious uh, perse- uh, groups have been persecuted. It doesn't look at other countries, other neighboring countries where the persecuted people might be from the Muslims. So those are the kind of problems where it, it looks as a as totally a discriminatory kind of a uh, act which is all about to exclude not only Muslims who are being uh, persecuted in neighboring countries, but within India also with the uh, NRC, the National Register of Citizenship, where Muslims who have been in, in India or who came after partition towards India, 
but who might not have the documentation, they might be also jailed or deported, not even deported, rather put in uh, these particular camps. So those are the kind of issues. And, uh, yeah, looking at uh, similarly, if Australia tries to do that, it can be a dangerous thing. And yeah, can you tell us um, a bit? Um, can you tell us a bit more about um, the protests? Um, the protests against this bill. Um, have they? Yeah, tell us about a bit more about the protests bill and what has what has been kind of in particular some of the demands of um, the protesters that they're pushing forward as an alternative to what the government is pushing. Well, the protesters mainly against, uh, you know, uh, about the Citizenship Amendment Act, along with NRC, the National Register of Citizenship. So, uh, and one of the things that uh, people are saying, or the protesters are saying, that millions of Muslims and other minorities in India, they don't, uh, who, who have been living in India for decades, they don't have their documents, especially those who are poor. And in India, that you know, documentation is not the best, uh, you know, the thing that people have had, or government has never issued documents like this. So they have lived as Indians for decades or for centuries, and uh, while you know, in these uh, this act, Hindus, Sikhs, or Buddhists, Jains, and Parsis and Christians will be granted citizenship without documents, but not Muslims. Okay. So that is the problem, that a particular, you know, six uh, religious uh, groups can be given uh, documents, uh, can be can be given citizenship without documents, but not Muslims. So this is a particular discrimination, and it goes against the constitutional value of India being a secular state. So millions of Muslims who have been living in India for decades could be made stateless and left without rights. And this has been one of the things which made students to come out protesting this, saying that this is something wrong and this should be reconsidered. So students came out in protest when it was a particular bill in the parliament. But now it has become an act. It has been passed in both the House of the Parliament. And that's why the protest continues in India. In fact, all over India, the protest has spread, you know, like a wildfire. And it, it, it is really, really uh, tragic, tragic to see how it is trying, how the government is responding to it, not taking into account the voice of the people, and brutally repressing or suppressing their voice. And it started with the Jamia Millia Islamia University. Later on, it moved on to Aligarh Muslim University, and then finally with JNU, where uh, it was also combined with some other issues in JNU, which is Jawaharlal Nehru University, on 5th of uh, January when they were also protesting against the uh, fee hike in the university, where a particular right-wing uh, political group, the masked uh, goons, went into the uh, particular university and attacked and beat up so many students and uh, you know, totally terrorized and brutalized students in the university. And now, you know, all these particular uh, brutality, not only by the police, not only by the state, but also by their the right-wing uh, uh, people uh, against uh, anyone who's raising voice against uh, the CA, NCR, or uh, NRC, or any uh, particular uh, issues which is again which which uh, they think is against the government. They want to suppress it. And what and on regarding the government, what has been kind of like the justification that they've sort of been given 
um, giving to the public on the reasons for these kind of reforms? For their, uh, uh, just one of the first justification from their side is that that Hindus of the neighboring countries, you know, only India being only the majority Hindu nation, it can only provide, you know, uh, citizenship or can provide relief to the Hindus. Okay, while Islam, there are hundreds, of, you know, there are there are many Islamic countries which can give relief to Islamic people from the Muslim faith who are persecuted. They can get, you know, relief by many countries. But for Hindus who are persecuted in these countries, they can only get relief in India. So that is one of the things or kind of narrative that is being, uh, you know, made out uh, uh, by the government. And also they are saying that if you have the paper. You know, if you have the document, then why do you have to fear? Because if your documentation is right, then you don't have to be uh, fearful of anything uh, because the government is going to consider you as a particular citizen. But that is the thing, that on paper it looks all very, you know, nice and, you know, that yes, the government is doing this and that. But the problem is, again, that the process of documentation within the government or for people who came as refugees or migrants the process of documentation has never been there. The poor people never got their particular documents, or they don't know even what happened about a generation back. So that is where the problem is, and this is what these are the kind of people who will be targeted. These are the people who will be, you know, moved out or put in camps and all those things. And that is what is the fear, and people are understanding that uh, uh, this can be a big problem. So uh, it needs to be talked about. Hmm. Yeah, just something else. Um, I want to ask you about the the sort of protests yeah, um, that that has been organised in um, Melbourne. But um, I just want to kind of ask just a other question is about some of the other kind of political kind of developments that have sort of happened in India. Um, so India just recently had um, a kind of massive kind of general strike of um, of workers, and um, I'm wondering if you had any sort of more information on on that kind of general strike. Well, that strike was again. It wasn't uh, kind of uh, about uh, this recent regulations and acts being passed by the government, and uh, that was one of the major reasons. And people came out uh, to protest that. And uh, what at the moment, what uh, there is a certain kind of polarization between the right wingers or the pro Hindus, in a way to say, and the secularists. So. And there is a kind of a big uh, kind of a uh, polarization of media as well, when, where a certain section of media is taking side of the government and becoming a kind of a mouthpiece for the government, which India earlier never saw that kind of polarization within media to create a kind of frenzy among the people and to put something uh, which the government, which which was only the side of the government and not of the people. And those are the kind of things that has that prompted many people to take out or to move into the street and protest against that. So it was just not a political thing, but it was more about people and general people feeling disillusioned by how things are going. So at the moment, it is it is a very kind of a polarized kind of a situation in India at the moment uh, between people who believe in uh, you know uh, believe in secularism, people who believe in the Indian democracy, people who believe that people from all faith 
should be respected and should be given space in India because that's what India stands for. And then there is a pro-Hindu kind of a feeling where they think that, uh, you know, safeguarding the uh, interests of Hindus is also important. And we need to, and and until the time we are doing it all right and the government, the way it is thinking, uh, it should be supported. But then there is a fine line between, you know, trying to become a kind of a nation which uh, takes on a kind of a religious mode, which Indian government somewhere is trying to do that, and which is a problematic thing. You know, uh, yeah, so so that's why if you see uh, there is a big protest happening uh, all across India. Uh, There is a place in uh, in Delhi, Shaheen Bagh, where thousands of Indian women are sitting in protest for last one month for 24 hours. So for one month, 24 hours, they all are sitting, silent, protesting, and people from all faiths supporting them. So things like that, and it is spreading all over. So tomorrow, yesterday, in fact, there were protests happening in Bihar, protests happening in Karnataka, one of the huge protests that, uh, you know, I saw it on video. So, yeah, people are raising their voice, and it's, it's something... Uh, not going, uh, uh, the government is not finding it easy to move out of it. Though it is, again, not accepting it. The problem with the government is that it doesn't want to interact with the protesters. It doesn't want to acknowledge them. It doesn't want to acknowledge the problem that this particular act has created. And that is making things worse. If only the government or the ruling party would have come out and, uh, you know, spoken to people and tried to have allayed the fear in some way, then there could have been some positive, uh, you know, uh, kind of a thing that the government could have shown. But what they have done is by they are targeting these people. They are trying to say that these are the ones who are creating, stirring up trouble. These are the ones who should be thrown out of the country. So those kind of narratives are not good. Or, or, or a certain section of students, student protesters, are being called as something called Tukre Tukre Gang, or people who want India to be turned into different fragments. And they are being, you know, the, called as anti-nationals. So anyone who talks about the rights of the people or the rights of the Muslims, instantly a certain section of media, and of course the ruling party and the government, they try to term them as uh, anti-nationals. Also, in last few weeks, we have seen that some of the ruling party members, they have been going out and calling to shoot the protesters or to, you know, beat them up and to make an example by, you know, brutally bashing up these people. Now, this is not the kind of, uh, you know, discussion or the kind of things that you want to hear from members of a ruling party or from a member of parliament or, you know, from any any leader of any standing. Hmm. And this hey. is what concerns... Yeah, I just have to interrupt you there for a second. We're running a bit low on time. Um, so I just thought I'd yeah. just quickly ask you, can you tell us um, about um, the solidarity protests um, that has been organised for the 26th of January in Melbourne? So uh, 26th January, it's a kind of a continuous solidarity protest. So we have had the first solidarity protest, which was on 22nd of December, which was uh, against uh, both CA and NRC. And it was swallowed up uh, 
Just last week, uh, we had another protest in front of the parliament, raising our voice, because it's not about just protesting once. It, ha- it has to be a continuous thing where people, especially, you know, with, with the growing Indian community in Australia now, Indian community is one of the st- strongest, uh, you know, it has the maximum number of uh, migrants and uh, community members in Australia. So as we are growing, the concerns or happenings in India, it also concerns us, and we uh, believe, we all believe in, the, you know, having people and university having a kind of a safe atmosphere to uh, to for students to study and for people to uh, have the right to protest. So we continue to raise their voice here in Melbourne. So on 26th, what we are doing is we are, again, we are doing a kind of a peaceful protest. We are going to read out uh, the preamble of India, and we are going to talk about that, how India is specifically a secular country, and we should respect each and every faith. And the protest is all about registering our voice and making it heard across, not only here in Australia, but mainly in India now, to the Indian uh, people that we are supporting their particular protest and we want that uh, any kind of discriminatory laws should be, you know, look, uh, should not be passed. And if, even if it has been passed, it should be, you know, made sure that there is no discrimination or nobody is being dealt in an un- in a way that discriminates or makes them uh, feel yeah, an alien in India. Yep. So they'll be at 1 p.m. at the Federation Square on January the 26th? Yes. Uh, uh, to give you the exact uh, details of uh, that particular protest, uh, it is on 26th January from... Uh, 1400 to 1500 hours, so 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. <laughs> at Fed Square Amphitheater. Yep. So, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Thanks for that. We're going to have to cut you there because we're out of time for our own program. Thank you very much. Okay, thank <laughs> thanks, Vikram. All righty. That is us for another week. Stick around for Beyond Zero Emissions. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned in to 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? Oh!